not everyone knows what Chateau Marmont is. Points for you if you do. But if you say, remember the hotel where John Belushi died? Oh, yeah. The hotel happens to be have a long history of celebrity hanky-panky. Portland's Sean Levy returns to the podcast to talk about his new book, Castle on Sunset, Life, Death, Love, Art, and Scandal at Hollywood Chateau Marmont. It was published this week, and we snagged Sean in the middle of nonstop interviews to come to Catfish Lose at 2460 Northwest 24th and tell us about it. You know Sean from his other books and, of course, for his time as movie reviewer at The Oregonian when there was an Oregonian. Let's talk to Sean. Sean, welcome to Catfish Loose. It's always nice to see you. Likewise. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, uh, are you doing constant interviews on this book? Yeah, it's just starting up. The book uh, today is Tuesday the 30th, yeah. and it'll be published on May 7. Uh-huh. And this week is, is kind of nuts. I have <laughs> interviews every morning and sometimes two or three a day. Wow. Um, it's, it's good kind of nuts, but it's nuts. Yeah, it's always nuts. Well, well, you hope. And when, when 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 did this start? When did this series of uh, uh, this round of interviews start? Um, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Um, but they, that that was for monthly magazines. You know, they've right. got long leads, right. and um, more and more. You know, I'm dealing with podcasters and um, internet journalists, and their deadline is when they can type it up. So, do they always ask you about Belushi first? No, but they always ask about pollution. They have to. Yeah, yeah, right. you have to. It's the most famous thing that happened at the hotel. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because when I t- when I've been talking to people about, hey, you know, this, 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 Sean has a great new book out and and it's about the uh, Chateau Marmont, and they stop for a minute and they go, um, I go like, you know, the hotel on Sunset Strip in L.A. and they go, um, and I go, you know, where Belushi died. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And and in the history of the hotel, that was the event that made it famous. Um, even in the 80s, when the hotel was like 60 years old, uh-huh. around Los Angeles, people didn't really know where it was. It's never had a big advertising sign. It's got a yeah. tiny sign that's down the hill from the actual building. Right. And the building is situated in such a way, if you're driving on Sunset Boulevard, when it becomes Sunset Strip and it starts curving... Mm-hmm. As soon as you see the building, you curve away from it. Yeah. So yeah, it's like yeah. it's it's sort of in your line of vision, and then it's not. And you're like, what was that building? And right. People thought it was like a girls' school or something to do with Scientology. <laughs> well, that would make died. sense, though. Yeah. That would make sense. It, it, it looks like a Scientology kind of place. Yeah. It, it bit, looks it looks institutional. Um, yeah. You know, it's yeah. it's in the French chateau style, which uh-huh. was one of the popular building styles of the 1920s in L.A. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but it was always discreet and tucked just it's in plain sight and off the main drag at the same time. Yeah, I, I always noticed that because I, I worked up the street uh, at KCET, which was the, the old Hal Roach Studios. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I would see it and I didn't know what it was. Yeah, and you know. people live their whole lives in Los Angeles. I talked to, in the book, Bruce Wagner, uh-huh. uh, who wound up living there, the novelist. He lived there while he wrote the TV series Wild Palms, wow. which is really still worth looking up. Uh-huh. Um, and he grew up in Los Angeles, and he didn't know what it was. Like, for years, wow. he, in his in the back of his parents' car, he invented all these stories about the place. <laughs> That's great. So, But it, it's been around was built in 1929. It was opened in 1929 as yeah. an apartment building yeah. six months before the stock market crashed. 
and it was a luxury apartment building. And at that time, Sunset Strip was unpaved. Yeah. The road ended at Laurel Canyon Boulevard, uh-huh. which was the L.A. city limits. And then the road began again at Doheny Drive, which is the Beverly Hills city limits. Yeah. And in between, for about 2.7 miles, was a winding bridal path lined <laughs> with onion fields and avocado groves. Wow. And that's where this, this guy, this visionary, uh-huh. this cheapskate, built his <laughs> hotel. He got the land cheaper because it was county and not city. He uh-huh. didn't have to pay the same building permits or... or um, you know, meet certain codes. He built a, a really luxurious building. It, it has double thick walls. He thought that would make it earthquake proof. In effect, what it does, it makes it soundproof, <laughs> which helped later on. You could get up to all sorts of mischief and not disturb your neighbors. <laughs> but at the time, it was it was no man's land, literally. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Huh. And he just thought it was going to be a successful apartment building. He thought it was convenient to everywhere. And his first um, tenants were people from like Santa Barbara and Pasadena who oh. wanted a little pied a terre close oh, to yeah. town. Oh, yeah. You needed references to, yeah. to get a, yeah. an apartment. There was no there. Pasadena freeway then. No. Um, <laughs> and and uh, he went out of business. The Depression really, yeah. you know, people weren't looking for luxury apartments. Right. And in 1932... He sold it to Albert Smith. Mm-hmm. Albert Smith was one of the founders of Vitagraph Pictures, yeah. which was you know the first real important studio mm-hmm. on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And he thought, the Olympics are coming, 1932, Los Angeles. People are going to be traveling looking for hotels. I'm going to turn this into a hotel. Yeah. And it's been a hotel now for 87 wow. years. Have you ever stayed there? I have not. This is just like you. this is how you do all your books well you know as i always say people write books about lincoln every year and never talk to the guy you know it's it's not a book about living at the hotel it's a book about the history of the hotel but you've been there i've been there okay in the 80s i was a and and early 90s i was a journalist in um movie magazines in los angeles Uh and at that time it still wasn't a luxury hotel it was still kind of a cheap hotel Uh uh-huh and a lot of filmmakers and writers stayed there because it was affordable. Also because it was built as an apartment house, so you had your own kitchen. Uh-huh. If you were in a bungalow, you had a private entrance off the street. You uh-huh. didn't even have to enter the building to uh-huh. get back and forth to your rental unit. Uh-huh. And it was a great place to host interviews because you had a suite. You had a living room. Yeah. And you could yeah. you know, host one journalist after another. Yeah. In, in a kind of pleasant environment, and and so you you did interviews there. I did a lot of interviews. Did there. you? Yeah. Who'd you interview there? Uh, Terry Gilliam, really? Alejandro Yodorovsky. Have you seen the Have you seen the movie? I have not. It Me only neither. played the one day so far. I know. I missed and, it. Yeah. It was a day I was just too fried to, uh, to go see. It's got it. to be some other way to see it. Well, it's coming back. Okay. They did the one day feature yeah. event, and it's going to have it'll okay. play in Portland. Again. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> After um, all this. Yeah. 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 Oh, sorry. So, but, what did you talk to Terry Gilliam about? Oh, it might have been Fisher King. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's 80s. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I interviewed Vim Vendors there. Wow. You know, it, it, Judy Davis. It was it was a spot. Judy Davis. Yeah. That's almost like a, a Barton Fink hotel. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah, one time I had to cover a, a, a conference in, in Boston. And it was at this old hotel. And I get off the elevator. And I look down the, look down the hallway. And I'm going like, 
this looks really familiar. <laughs> this was, I don't, and then I open the door and there's a box on the bed. Oh, no. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, it's Judy Davis's head. <laughs> but it you wasn't. Know, there's just goodies for the, for the conference. Yeah, <laughs> there's a hotel in Manhattan, the Jane Hotel. It's uh-huh. on Jane Street. Yeah. And your room is, um, it was built for sailors. It was a, uh, a Siemens Union uh-huh. um, hotel. Yeah. So nobody has a private bath. And the rooms are oh. so small that I've stayed in it. And using my f- toes and fingers, I could touch all four walls of my room <laughs> at once. But it's deliberately been turned into a replica of the Hotel Earl in Barton Fink. The decor, <laughs> the rugs, the bellhops are all dressed. The desk, the people, fly, the, the, the drip, the drip you know, from the ceiling. It's, and uh, and the, the motto of the hotel is a, a, a stay or a lifetime, which is the, 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 the motto of the hotel in Barton Fink. Funny. I have a, a friend of mine, a writer, um, who wouldn't, would not watch Barton Fink for years. For decades, he refused to watch Barton Fink because it was about writer's block. Oh, you see, and I work <laughs> under a poster of Barton Fink signed by Joel and Ethan Cohn. It's been over my writing desk for like 25 years. <laughs> oh, man. So Judy Davis, huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it was particularly for European and New York actors, writers, directors, it was a, a, a familiar place to stay. Uh-huh. Judy's Australian. And what kind of shape was it in then? It was it was worn down. Yeah. Um, the people who owned it from 75 to 92, I believe the fellow who, who, who ran the hotel, Ray Sarlat, I uh-huh. think he loved it. Yeah. I think when he bought it, he looked at it as an investment and maybe even a teardown. Mm-hmm. But he was going through a divorce and he moved in, which so many Hollywood people had done over the years. Yeah. If people heard you were living at Chateau Marmont, they knew your marriage was ending. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> He moved in and he fell in love with the place and he wasn't going to invest a fortune to make it spiffy, but he kept it alive. And, you know, where, you know, serious need was, he uh-huh. did repairs. Uh-huh. But the 80s were still the era where, you know, the likes of David Mamet would come down to the front desk with his shower knob in his hand <laughs> saying, this happened. <laughs> you know? And, um, you know, there were there, there were stains on the rug that were older than some of the parking yeah. valets. <laughs> But it was it the eighties were also an era in Hollywood when young Hollywood was rediscovering old Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So places like Cantor's Deli yeah. and Musso and Frank Grill yes. and yes. the Formosa Cafe yeah. on Santa Monica were coming back into vogue and Chateau Marmont enjoyed some of that. Yeah, I did a half hour uh, documentary on that the block that Cantor's Deli is in one time and got to shoot in there a lot. One of my favorite jokes was someone saying, you know, I, I have an appointment at CBS Television City. Where is it? The guy says, <laughs> you go down Fairfax, the first window that doesn't have a chicken in it, that's CBS. <laughs> Wasn't the the uh, the um, uh, silent movie theater was on? Was also on Fairfax. On, right yeah. on that block, I think. I was a, a maybe. Or a block maybe, up, yeah. Yeah, 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 it's, yeah, it's moved since then, but it, yeah. it started on Fairfax. Yeah, yeah. Fairfax, jeez. <laughs> so, um were were rock and rollers staying in that era? Now, I, that that wasn't a hotel that they would tear up, right? No, it it it, it didn't have the same layout as the more popular rock and roll hotels. For uh-huh. one thing, it was a tiny hotel. It only even at its largest today, it, it's only sixty three rooms. Wow, you know the Plaza Hotel has sixty three rooms on a single floor. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
So you couldn't, if you were traveling as a band with an entourage and, you know, five or six musicians, you couldn't get a block of rooms at, the, mm-hmm. at, at Chateau Marmont the way you could down the road at the Continental Hyatt House or at the Sunset Marquee. Mm-hmm. Um, it also didn't have a bar or a restaurant until the 90s. Wow. And that meant that, you know, you had to see for yourself. Uh-huh. Um, so rock people would stay there. Yeah. But often it was people who, like, wanted to hunker down and work on an album. Uh-huh. Like so, who, for instance? Uh, Graham Nash lived there for a long spell. Mm-hmm. James Taylor and Carly Simon lived there for mm-hmm. a while. Mm-hmm. Neil Young lived there for a while. Mm-hmm. These people had homes elsewhere in Southern yeah. California. Yeah, that's Mr. and Mrs. Laurel Canyon. Yeah, but they wanted to stay closer to town, for yeah. instance, or yeah. they lived in Malibu or Topanga. Yeah, well, you come you come down from Laurel Canyon, yeah. and then you're right there. You're right there. Yeah. So um, it was more popular um, with traveling uh Singers and jazz musicians, people who didn't yeah. travel in a, in an entourage or with a troupe. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It was also importantly the first showbiz hotel to break the color line. Just about to ask you that, and that started with musicians. Duke Ellington started staying there in the 1950s. Wow, that late? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, and it was because the owner at the time. Um, was a German anti-fascist, a man <laughs> named Erwin Brettauer, who was completely lost to history. Uh-huh. The only previous book about the hotel misspelled all three of his names. Oh, jeez. And under those misspelled names, there's no information on the Internet because oh. that person didn't exist. And then one day I saw the name spelled differently, and I said, huh. And within an hour... I had this guy's Ph.D. dissertation in German, and <laughs> I had his family tree, and yeah, yeah. I knew about his marriages and other properties he uh-huh. owned. Um, it, it was just you know a lightning bolt. I found his daughters still huh. alive in Southern California. Well, it must be really gratifying to finally give him his due. Yeah, yeah, his pictures in the book, and, yeah. and he was an important guy. He was mm-hmm. he got his family's money. He was Jewish. He was a banker. He got the money into Switzerland in the early '30s and funded the people who were running against Hitler. Wow, um, from Switzerland, and when Hitler took power mm-hmm. um the people who opposed him the previous uh government mm-hmm. lived at the the president lived at brett Hauer's, uh, estate in switzerland huh. and conducted anti-fascist propaganda and mm-hmm. wrote his memoirs there huh. um brett Hauer also funded movies in the 1920s and again in the 40s often with anti-fascist themes so he owned this hotel and he had no idea that it was a restricted hotel that wasn't allowing black customers. And when he found mm. out, that changed overnight. Huh. Prior to huh. that, if you were um, a black musician or actor and you had to be in Los Angeles, yeah. you stayed in South Central. There right. was a hotel called the Dunbar, mm-hmm. which was a luxurious mm-hmm. hotel yeah. on Williams Avenue and, and uh, or on Central, Central Avenue, Avenue, rather, yeah. In, in, yeah. in South L.A. Williams Avenue was Portland, Portland Central yeah. Avenue, yeah. And, um, <laughs> you know... Uh, Brett Howard changed that. Duke Ellington came and stayed uh-huh. there, and then a load of jazz musicians uh-huh. and, and other, uh-huh. you know. Uh-huh. Uh, Did that cause any problems? No, no. Uh-huh. Brett Tower also allowed, you know, part of the reputation of this hotel was always like, you know, what happens at the Marmont stays at the Marmont. Yeah. And that was part of his legacy as well. How did they make? How, how, how did that happen? How did they keep everything a secret? Of course, they didn't keep everything a secret. They right? didn't but keep it a secret, but they they, they it was a tiny hotel. Mm-hmm. It didn't have public spaces like a, a yeah. restaurant or a bar yeah. where, where people could hang people. out and see. Can, yeah. Brett Tower built the swimming pool, so for the first 30 years of its existence, the hotel had no pool. <laughs> 
when he built the pool, that became a congregating place, and a mm-hmm. lot of gay Hollywood hung out at the pool. Really? Um, and again, they were allowed to be themselves, so long as they paid their bill and, like, you know, behaved like grown-ups. Yeah. Nobody at that hotel minded, and, and I credit Brett Tower with creating that atmosphere. What did he want with a hotel? It was a real estate investment. Oh, <laughs> um, he he was uh, he was living in New York, and he met a woman. Uh, his, his wound up being his second wife, who was an actress. Um, she came from a Jewish acting family that had fled uh, the Nazis, mm-hmm. and she um, her sister was was uh, quite quite well known. She was modestly well known. And he moved to Los Angeles in part so that she could be in movies. The only movies she wound up appearing in were ones that he produced. Mm-hmm. And then she had children and, and retired from showbiz. Did he, did he, but he knew about the history of the place. I don't think so. Really? He bought oh. it in 1942 or so. It uh-huh. was only about 13 years old at the time. Wow. It had had two owners. And it was a deal. I mean, he bought apartment buildings and hotels in New York and L.A. and, mm. and probably in Europe. I mm-hmm. didn't track those records. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But, okay, so, it's, so there's really two stories. There's a story of the building, right? <laughs> then there's a story of what went on in the building. Right. Yeah. And probably more people want to know about what went on in the building than the building itself. Do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's, yeah, it, yeah. it's got a Downton Abbey thing going on. Like yes. the building and the people who work there are the, the subtext, but yeah. the main text is Lindsay Lohan, John Belushi, Jim yeah. Morrison, Gene Harlow. Yeah. What Now, what was – Gene Harlow had – had several several uh, things go on there, right? Well, Gene Harlow moved in. She was 23 or so years old. She mm-hmm. was on her third marriage. She <laughs> had been divorced and widowed. Um, and she was carrying on with... Um, she, shoot her, she shoot her second husband? Uh, no, he shot himself, okay. apparently. All right. um, <laughs> he left a cryptic note. You know, mm-hmm. MGM got to the crime scene before the LAPD mm-hmm. or the Beverly Hills Police Department and... Uh, no one really knows what happened to that <laughs> fellow. His name was Paul Byrne. Oh, she shot him. She, she may have done, or her he, boyfriend shot him. He had a previous <laughs> wife who may have shot him. Oh, I could. <laughs> um, there's there's whole books on theories of Gene Harlow's second husband's death. <laughs> really, uh, husband? Yeah, wow. husband number three was a guy who was a confirmed bachelor in his forties. He was a cinematographer. That means he's gay. I don't think he was gay. I think he was actually a bachelor. Aren't confirmed bachelors always gay? I Come know, on. I know, I know. But this guy, I think, you know, he, he had another marriage afterward. You know, okay. He had, a, he had a long career um, in showbiz. Um, and he, he did marry again. But this He shot some very famous movies, didn't he? he? Yeah, he shot The Grapes of Wrath. Yeah. And, and you know, he, yeah. he, he worked until the 60s. Rossons. Yeah, uh, yeah, Harold Rawson. Yeah. And um, they married. He was clearly matched up with her by MGM publicity. Uh-huh. Uh, they were living at her house for a little while, but she had a domineering mother with oh, a second husband who wanted to control everything, so <laughs> they moved into Chateau Marmont. At this time, it was barely known as a showbiz place, ah. and they took two suites next to each other and had them connected. Gene uh-huh. slept in the master bedroom. Harold, <laughs> when he was at the place, slept in a fold-out couch. In, this is their honeymoon. Jeez. And, you know, the staff noticed that on nights when he wasn't there, there were often male guests in the master suite. A with, confirmed bachelor. Yeah, you know, with, with Gene, including <laughs> Clark Gable. Oh. <laughs> um, who was her frequent co-star. 
And that, that marriage only lasted about six or seven months, and then oh, they geez. both moved out. And um, Man. But she's the first you know, Hollywood scandal person. There were other uh-huh. Hollywood people who had stayed there, but they were little noted. Uh-huh. She was a, a bona fide superstar, and, uh-huh. and um, she carried on in, in, in what became the signature way of the hotel. <laughs> wow. Now, when, when, when people go there now, do they ask for specific places where, where big stars fooled around? You know, people do still ask for the Belushi bungalow, yeah. which is kind of amazing to me because the man died there. It wasn't like, you know, George Washington slept here. It's like John Belushi, you know, killed himself in right. this room. Right. Um, even even soon after, uh, the people who owned the hotel at the time completely renovated, repainted, threw out every stick of furniture uh-huh. and started from scratch because they didn't want a, a tomb. Right. Um, but Jean-Michel Basquiat and Rick James, among others, <laughs> expressly asked. And look to how stay they there. ended up. And look how they ended up. <laughs> you wow. know, it, it appealed to certain people. Yeah. But there's barely a room in the hotel that you can stay in that doesn't have a history. Even the tiniest little rooms uh-huh. were where Dustin Hoffman stayed before the graduate broke, or wow. um, uh-huh. Tony Perkins stayed before he got his you know money from friendly persuasion. <laughs> so you know there, there's a history to every room in the place. Uh-huh. Again, it's only sixty three rooms. You know, one of the great footnotes in the book about uh, it's not actually a real footnote in the book, but it's mentioned in the book, but it's kind of a footnote to the story. Uh, is about Belushi was that Tony Randall lived next door. Yeah. And and this is you know the 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 hotel even into the eighties and nineties was cheap enough. Uh-huh. Tony Randall lived there throughout the entire taping of every season of every sitcom he made. Wow, he was a New Yorker. Yeah, but he lived in Los Angeles for twenty or twenty five weeks out of the year. And Chateau Marmont was affordable enough that he would rent a bungalow for the duration of a season of The Odd Couple or Love, Sydney or whatever sitcom he was working on. Uh-huh. And he was Belushi's next-door neighbor the night Belushi died. Jeez. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. But, you know, again, it's Hollywood. It's a tiny hotel. Yeah. And yeah. it was, you know, one of the allures of show biz- uh, of this hotel for show people was most of the guests were in the business. Yes. You know, it's not yeah. like staying at the Beverly Wilshire where people are coming and going. Yeah. There's swimming pools and tennis courts and gift shops. Yeah, yeah. It, it was a private place. Wow. <laughs> and so what was it What was it about, about it that, that, that made you want to write a book? Well, I always wanted to write a book about the Sunset Strip. Yeah. You know, I've done, yeah. I've done books that I, I think of as scene books. Uh-huh. Um, one yeah. on Swinging Rome, one mm-hmm. on Swinging London, one on the Rat Pack era in yep. Vegas. Yep. And I wanted um, to, to add to that collection the Sunset Strip in the 60s. Uh-huh. And I've been gathering string on that subject for like 20 years. <laughs> and I finished uh, Dolce Vita Confidential in 2016 and uh-huh. was sharking around for something to do. And my agent and I and an editor at Doubleday were in conversation, and he just blurted out, the editor did, what about Chateau Marmont? And it was one of these things that's happened to me (laughs) twice, where the entire book appeared in my head, like one of those paper things you throw in the water and it blossoms into a flower. Yeah. I was like, instantly I had a book in my head. I didn't know all the details. I didn't know all the stories or what I would find or... Uh, you know, it's almost like you could start writing it immediately. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had the proposal written in about ten days—a forty-page <laughs> proposal—and and, you know we had a go deal. Um, and <clears throat> I knew that it was going to be challenging because it's a biography of a place, yeah, not a biography of a person. So right. with a person, you have the beginning, middle, and end. 
corresponds to the chronology of a life. Maybe yeah. you write about their parents or grandparents. Then you write about their career and their personal life. And then you write about their death. Well, this has none of that. Right. Um, and it took me a while to realize that what I was writing about was a series of owners and uh-huh. eras in which the hotel had a certain condition, whether it be, you know, discreet residential or sleazy showbiz or decayed uh-huh. but hanging in there or the current era, which is very glamorous and, and upscale. So With a sleazy owner. Yeah, the owner is a sleaze, but the hotel is 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 uh, a, 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 a valuable property. It's a, it's a funny switch on things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, uh, and, most and, of the owners were discreet, not this guy. Yeah, wasn't he Chelsea Handler's boyfriend? Chelsea Handler's Uma Thurman's. <laughs> What's his name? Uh, Andre Balage. Yeah, he's yeah. the heir to a um, a medical fortune. His father was a, oh, a, a Hungarian scientist who invented <laughs> um, uses for things like. Uh, placentas and roosters, coxcombs and shark cartilage that go in artificial knees and wow. um, uh, corneal transplants, you know, <laughs> tissue from other species uh-huh. that uh-huh. is rubbery and can be used in humans. And um, he, he sold off two <laughs> businesses yeah. that, that both were, you know, he, uh-huh. he started from scratch and became like nine figure businesses. Uh-huh. And Balaj is the heir to that. The rooster coxcomb king. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're good. Okay, never mind. I just, I just it, it wouldn't come back. Uh-huh. All right. Um, so he was involved in some sort of Me Too moment. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was uh, described in the New York Times in late 2017. Um, a series of uh, gropings and. Oh, in public places, <laughs> some of them, you know, uh, several of them witnessed at the time and attested to at the time. And yeah. then later on, he made no public announcements about it. He's kept a low profile ever since. Most gropings are in private places. Yeah, you know. <laughs> um, but this, this, guy was, this guy was grabbing women, like, at <laughs> one of his hotels Jeez. in London. I mean, it's, it's, it's seamy stuff. Um, but... I think the guy's a genius hotelier. Ah, um, he, all right. All right. he took an undervalued property. And by uh-huh. the way, at, when he bought the hotel in 1992, the Sunset Strip itself was an undervalued location. Huh. Um, this was before the Viper Room, before yeah. uh, House of Blues had opened, uh-huh. um, before the Mondrian Hotel or the St. James Club had uh-huh. been uh, you know, imposed on, on already standing buildings. So everything on the Strip was kind of decrepit. And he saw an, a, a valuable piece. He bought it, and he's restored the hotel in a way that makes you think, wow, this is what it must have looked like when Clark Gable was here or when James Dean but was here. But it didn't. But it didn't. <laughs> it was a rundown place then. So he's given it a polish of old Hollywood luster that it didn't have in the old Hollywood days. It's, it's, it's a stroke a, of genius. It's a big piece of irony for you. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. I, I, you know, good for him because, you know, he's taken a really beautiful building yeah. and given yeah. it the vision that the original owner's aspired to but couldn't afford uh-huh. because they were you know they built it just before the great depression so what's a suite cost there a night oh probably about you know four six thousand dollars a night a night a night the cheapest room in the place is probably 600 bucks a night and i don't even know if that has a window <laughs> um you know and again it's scarcity 63 rooms right you know you, right. you can you can stay i mean any any hotel on the sunset strip 
is going to be three, four hundred bucks a night, but Chateau Marmont can get more. Yeah. You know, back back in the in the late seventies on Sunset Strip, yeah, fifty would be you know a suite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, <laughs> and even adjusted for inflation, those places were a bargain back then. Right. You could go to Ben Frank's and have toast at your at, 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 have a toaster at your table and look at and watch Tom Waits walk in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> and you know, the hotel lived through all of that. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, Tom Waits ever stay there? I, I don't believe he did. I okay. think it was, uh, you know, he stayed, he you was would a think. Tropicana guy. Okay. <laughs> you know, the Chateau Marmont was a little ritzy for him. Yeah. But there, there's an anecdote. Well, with a, a big palm tree. Yeah, yeah. A neon palm tree. Yeah. Yeah. There's an anecdote in the book about um, <clears throat> Bianca Jagger uh-huh. staying there after her divorce from Mick. Uh-huh. And she wanted to be an actress. So she moved to Los Angeles mm-hmm. and she she moved into Chateau Marmont. And... Um, she says that she told Ryan O'Neill where he was staying, and he looked at her. He's like, how could you stay in a place like that? <laughs> but she thought that by staying at Chateau Marmont, which was considered, you know, uh, low rent, yeah. she was proving her bona fides, that she was ah, a serious actress. Yeah, she wasn't yeah. staying at the Beverly Hills. Yeah. Mick and Keith ever stay there? I don't believe so, no. Yeah, that's um, not, it wasn't ritzy enough. It wasn't ritzy enough, and also yeah. they were, they were by the time they were traveling, yeah. they, were, they were staying in bigger places. Yeah. They needed yeah. more yeah. room. Led Zeppelin stayed there once on their first <laughs> U.S. tour, and then they went down the road where they could raise hell. Right, um, right. when they were a blues band. <laughs> yeah, um, the band stayed there. Um, they f- I can when, see that. When they finished recording music from Big Pink, it was half recorded in New York and yeah. half in L.A. Yeah. during the yeah. L.A. part. Right. But this was a time when... You know, people stayed there because they could cook for themselves, and it was uh-huh. like homey. Uh-huh. Um, the Velvet Underground stayed there at one point. Really? Um, there in the book, there's a, <laughs> a great anecdote. Mo Tucker, she was up all night and um, she's listening to the radio and learns that their roadie's father has just won the Nobel Prize for chemistry or something. <laughs> you know, but a Nobel <laughs> Prize for something, <laughs> some science. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, so so there were certain groups that were, like, under the radar enough that they, they, they were comfortable staying in that place. But yeah. if, you, if you wanted to meet groupies, if you wanted to, you know, raise hell, yeah. go down the road to the Hyatt House or, or the Sunset Marquee. They actually wanted your business. Chateau yeah. Marmont yeah. really wasn't for you. Yeah, so it was never the Chelsea Hotel. Well, it, it's the Chelsea <laughs> Hotel in that it's the Bohemian Hotel of yes. Los Angeles. Yeah, um, in that it had longtime residents, um, but it's not. You know, the, the the two notable deaths there: Belushi and then Helmut Newton having yes. a heart attack. Yeah, not not quite hell raising. No, not um, not quite the same. You know, right. there, yeah. plenty of hell was raised, but tended to be behind doors, and and the stories didn't. You know, make the headlines. Yeah, I'm not going to ask you about any details on the Belushi thing. So let him buy the book. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, the, <laughs> the details are out there. You know, something that's not in the book that I've learned since since the publicity has started coming yeah. for me is the woman who was convicted of of killing him, uh-huh. administering the, the 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 hot shot that that killed him. Um, Gordon Lightfoot and she were involved. She was from really? Toronto. Wow. And uh, the song "Sundown" by Gordon Lightfoot is about that's her about cheating her? on him. Wow. <laughs> and that was in her, you know, her her, her young, uh, attractive days. By the yeah. time Belushi met yeah. her, she was, you know, a confirmed drug dealer. Wow. <laughs> jeez. Um, well, jeez, what a great book. Oh, uh, cheers. Yeah. What's next? 
What's next? Um, yeah, isn't that great? It's like, it's like as soon as somebody comes out with something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's like, good. What, what are you doing for me next? <laughs> um, I've got two books. Uh-huh. Um, I've got next year a book of poems based on obits in the New York Times from the year 2016. Wow. It was a project I thought at the end of 2015 I was starting to write poetry again. I have an MFA in poetry. Uh-huh. And in a conversation I realized there would be a prompt every day in the New York Times obit page yeah. for poems yeah. and then 2016 was the year everybody died right Prince Marvin uh, Prince Merle Haggard right. David Bowie right. Glenn Fry, George Michael yeah um, Arnold Palmer and Muhammad Ali and Gordie Howe within a month yeah uh, Nancy Reagan Tom Hayden Fidel uh-huh. Castro John Glenn I mean yeah, it's yeah. just one day after another Leonard yeah. Cohen right Alan Rickman Debbie Reynolds and Carrie Fisher back-to-back at the end of the year. So I have 100 poems. The book is called A Century of Death. Wow. And it's being published by University of Hell Press. Uh Uh-huh. And I'm working on another book for Double It probably is not going to be as big a seller as some of the other ones. No, no. and, and Because uh, it's poetry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but it's, it's poetry with, with a pop twist. I understand that. No, no, no. I, I, believe but me. I, this is, it's, it's brilliant. It's my favorite if anybody book. Can, if, if anybody can get, get people to read poetry, it'll be about that. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's my favorite book of all the books. Is that right? Yeah. It's well, wow. partly because oh, it's next. It, yes. Right. <laughs> and then the book after that, which yeah. is you know a, a book that I'll actually be paid to write, is um, <laughs> it doesn't have a title yet, but it's about the um, the women pioneers of stand-up comedy. All so right. it basically runs from about Pearl Harbor to Woodstock, uh-huh. and it deals with Phyllis Diller, Joan Rivers, Elaine May, Ann Mira, Toady Fields, and the women who you know came in at a time when no woman stood in front of a microphone right. to tell jokes yeah. and did that, um, yeah. and, and the sort of obstacles they faced, you know, uh-huh. as 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 women and as you know entertainers. Uh huh. Uh huh. Are you getting blurbs from Sarah Silverman? Um, I haven't written it yet, but I hope to. I hope to get the young young female comics interested in it because yeah. these are the the women who paved the way. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite. She writes and, great blurbs. Yeah, and and one of my favorite <laughs> stories that I've come across so far is Lily Tomlin. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Warmed up for Joan Rivers in Greenwich Village wow. when she first came to New York. <laughs> And she grew up imitating a woman named Jean Carroll, a forgotten stand-up comic, yeah. who yeah. was one of Ed Sullivan's favorite guests, mm-hmm. um, and did quite funny stand-up. I've seen quite a few of her clips on YouTube, Jean Carroll with two R's and two L's. Uh-huh. And um, Lily Tomlin grew up putting on her mother's gowns and standing in front of a mirror pretending to be Jean Carroll, <laughs> doing stand-up. <laughs> wow. Amazing. Do, do you ever miss writing daily? I do miss having... I, I mean, getting something published daily. Having the discipline of newspapering was great for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm a lazy person by nature, so having constant deadlines really kept me getting out of bed and working every morning. Right. Um, I don't miss writing 300 movie reviews a year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't miss seeing 300 movie, new movies a year. <laughs> but, you know, every now and then... Because of the bad ones? Yeah, you know, or just the yeah. grind of it. You know, right. even right. the ones that are good, you know, have the, have the air of duty about them. Correct. And that, yeah. you know, yeah. just becomes a grind. Yeah. Um, but there are times when I look at something coming to movies, oh, I wish I could write about this. Right. You know, right. I know so right. much about organized crime. There's a new Scorsese movie about the death of Jimmy Hoffa. It's like I could write that story yeah. today yeah. You know, without doing any research. Right. And, 
and right. you know write the backstory of the characters in that movie. Yep. And I won't have the opportunity. Putting it on a blog is not the same. No. You know, I, w- no. I don't have the discipline to do that. So I do miss that. I miss the collegiality of going into a newsroom yeah. and yeah. finding out what other people. Well, are you, you're, on. your your voice is missed also. Ah, cheers! I That's appreciate true. that. That's true. You know, I get to do film events around town occasionally, uh-huh. and uh-huh. you know, when I have a book come out, I get to talk to people. But it used to be a, a daily and weekly thing, and that was that sure. was fun and charming in its way. Sure. Well, congratulations on the book. Thanks so much. Yeah, uh, Castle on the Sunset. On Sunset is the name of it, and uh, I have links. I have links on the page. Excellent. And uh, thanks for coming in. Sure. Always great to see you. Always. And always great to hear you Friday night on my radio box. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) And thanks to auditory sculptor Keith Schreiner and Derek Sims for letting us use Ghost Jazz, their tune, as the theme song for this podcast. Thank you.